How do you feel when it gets to the 1st of December? Some people are like really excited. Other people are terrified. The in-laws are coming for Christmas. Disaster. Well, however you're feeling, over the next few weeks in different kinds of meetings, we're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 9. It's a very well-known passage in the Old Testament in relation to Christmas. And uh, we're going to start this morning with a couple of points about a great light that has come. So a famous Christian image used in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Isaiah here, we'll find, says that in what will be the coming of Jesus Christ, a great light has dawned. So we're going to read Isaiah chapter 9 and the first seven verses, and then we're going to look at the first five verses. And he says this, Nevertheless, I know I'm jumping in, I'll explain in a moment. Nevertheless, he says, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, a couple of parts of, of Israel. But in the future, he will honor Galilee in the same area of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And then you'll probably recognize these well-known Christmas verses. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, in the days of Gideon, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And these especially famous words, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. There are a thousand things we could say from that passage. I'm going to mention two to you this morning. The first is this. Our God is God of nevertheless. Every Christmas Eve, I wonder if you listen to it. Every Christmas Eve... Every year on Radio 4, you have nine lessons and carols. Anybody listen to that? What an uncultured bunch we are. <laughs> it's a service of carols, hymns, and readings live from the candlelit chapel of King's College, Cambridge. It was created early in the 20th century to show the development of the loving purposes of God seen through the windows and words of the Bible. I'm sure you'll all be wanting to watch it now, listen to it now, this Christmas. There are nine readings, nine lessons and carols, nine readings and carols. And the third of, the third of those nine readings is from this passage that we just read. But it doesn't include verse 1. It jumps right in at the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. But verse 1 is crucial for us to understand what's going on here. What well, this is about a great light. You ask, well, why is it really important? Well, it's really important because of one word at the start of it, nevertheless. 
In other words, nevertheless means despite all that's been said, this, hear this. Which means you have to ask, well, despite what? This great light news comes nevertheless. Well, nevertheless what? What is it that's happened beforehand that makes you intrigued to wonder what's been going on such that this is now such great news? It's really important. You see, if I said to you, nevertheless, I will rejoice. That doesn't tell you very much. It tells you I'm going to rejoice, but it doesn't tell you why. The nevertheless is really important. If I said, nevertheless, because... I've got, a, I've got a slight cold. Nevertheless, I will rejoice. You're going to think, yeah, so what? If I say to you, I have just lost my job, nevertheless, I will rejoice. You're thinking, all right. What precedes the nevertheless is massively important. And this nevertheless in 9 verse 1 that we read follows, of course, the end of chapter 8. And the end of chapter 8 finishes with judgment from God. It finishes with, as bad as it gets, distress, darkness, fearful gloom, utter darkness. God, through Isaiah, is prophesying great judgment. It's a terrible time for these people. Nevertheless, God says, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Do you understand? That's what's going on here. But we need to take another step back (laughs) because the end of chapter 8 is set in the historical context that chapters 7 and 8 have set up for us. And without all of that, you don't really get the full impact of this great light that Isaiah says is coming. Here's Here's the context. Here's what's going on. Ahaz is currently the king of Judah, the southern part of what was God's people. And he's a bad king. And given that it's pantomime season, every time I say Ahaz, you have to boo. Right? So Ahaz... No, 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 no. You didn't get it. He was really bad. Ahaz... is one of a succession of really bad kings in Judah. And Ahaz... I wonder how long you can keep this going. Ahaz is in, thank you, is in a quandary. Ahaz is in a quandary because two, I need to be more careful, two neighboring nations are ganging up on Judah. Israel and Aram to the north are ganging up. They're applying pressure, saying to Ahaz, join us. As we oppose that great big evil nation Assyria over to the east. But he's even, Ahaz is even more afraid. Some of you are loving this, others of you are fed up already. He's more fearful of Assyria than he is even of these two nations in the north. And so he's in a bit of a spot of trouble. He doesn't know what to do. Well, God's word comes through Ahaz in this context. Through Isaiah, sorry, to the king. And he says to the king, don't worry. Don't ally yourself with Assyria or with Israel or with Aram, but trust in God alone and see that God will wipe out all three of those fearful enemies of yours. And he even says, extraordinarily generous of God, he says 
to the king through Isaiah. <laughs> You're just taking this way too far. He says to the king, from God, God says to you, ask for a sign that this will truly happen. Isaiah's word should have been enough, but he's, God is being generous. Ask for a sign, whatever you want, in the highest heavens or the deepest depths, ask whatever you want. And Ahaz, it sounds like faith, sounds like faith, but he's being cynical. You can stop it now. He's, he's being cynical, he's, and he refuses to test the Lord in cynicism. Isaiah is not impressed. And he says to the king, you've tried the patience of your people. Now you're testing the patience of the Lord. Well, the Lord is going to give you a sign anyway, even if you don't want one in your cynicism. And here's the sign that the Lord is going to give you that all three of these nations are going to be defeated by God. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And by the time that young woman has married and had her son, the lands of the two kings you dread, Adam, um, sorry, sorry, Israel and Aram, will be laid waste. The immediate threat that you're really worried about will be over. And that lady will call her son Emmanuel as a testimony for the rest of his life. God is with us. However, Ahaz still doesn't trust God to sort it out. And he decides to align himself with Assyria way over to the east and sends a tribute to him and says, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm your son and your servant. Ahaz is that unbelieving. And at the end of chapter 8, where we get to the nevertheless, the end of chapter 8, Isaiah is saying, it is God alone that you should fear not a king of Assyria or anyone else. And if you don't fear God alone, you will stumble and fall. If God's word isn't the word that you listen to, you will end up in distress and darkness and fearful gloom thrust into utter darkness. And the very next word after all that disaster under this king is this, nevertheless. Nevertheless, despite all the gloom, there will be no more gloom. In fact, in verses 2 to 4, there will be the opposite of gloom. You deserve gloom, you deserve judgment, but God in his grace says no more gloom will be yours. In fact, it will be like this. There'll be rejoicing as God delivers his people from oppression. And he gives four very quick pictures. Verse two, you've been stumbling in darkness, but you will walk in the light. Verse three, it'll be like, it'll be so good. It'll be like, you know what it's like when harvest comes in? He says to his people, we don't have a clue about that because we're not agricultural people, most of us. But back in those days, you know when harvest comes in it's absolutely amazing it means there's food for the next year you know what it's like he says verse three when our warriors have been out in battle and they've defeated the enemy and they've brought all their valuables back and we're dividing them amongst all ourselves it's going to be like that kind of rejoicing it's going to be absolutely amazing our enemies have been defeated and verse four he reminds them of a story it's going to be like when God defeated the Midianites with Gideon do you remember that you remember that don't you You're the people of Israel you remember what it was like it was like a time for party 
Our oppressor has been put away. That rod that was like on our backs, we're carrying this heavy load, it's been taken away from us. Here is a people in a desperate predicament, placed themselves under God's judgment, and yet his word to them is, nevertheless, see what I will do, despite all your despicable behavior, because God never gives up. He never fails to work for his glory and our good because his plans will come to pass. His will gets done. Our God is God of nevertheless. Reminds me of some of the famous buts in the Bible. Be careful when you search for that online. Some of the famous buts in the Bible. You might remember this one, one to do with Joseph. Remember Joseph, his brothers sent him away to Egypt. In the end, he says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish all that is now happening. Psalm 73, David says this, David says, my flesh and my heart may fail. Do you feel like that sometimes? But God is the strength of my heart. Ephesians chapter 2, this famous passage. Having said how dead we were in our transgressions and sins, Paul then writes, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. I love the buts of the Bible. Don't you love it about God? However things look, the story isn't over. Nevertheless, you're suffering, you're suffering ill health, mental or physical. Nevertheless, he will provide grace for as long as he allows it and deliverance from it, whether in this life or the next. You're bemoaning the state of your family. Nevertheless, his grace will be sufficient. And if you're open, he's with you to help you and he'll provide others alongside you. You're wondering if your family members will ever trust in Jesus. Nonetheless, he never turns away from you or from them. You wonder how long what he's promised to you will take. Nevertheless, he is faithful. You wonder about all the suffering you've endured. Nevertheless, he is preparing a place for you where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And with New Testament eyes, we see all this nevertheless and its implications being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Matthew, in his gospel, explicitly tells us this. In Matthew chapter 1, he talks about the virgin who will give birth and the son will be called Emmanuel. And here in this chapter, Isaiah 9, Matthew picks that up in chapter 4. All of this, nevertheless, finds its way in Jesus towards us. Don't you love it that God hasn't finished? Don't you love it that he's God of the nevertheless? However things look, he's still at work. He's still doing his business. He will never stop working for his glory and for our good. 
But don't forget, jumping back to Isaiah chapter 9, back to that day, don't forget that it would be seven long centuries for Isaiah's words from God to be fulfilled, for this nevertheless to become reality, for the child to be born, for the son to be given, for the government to be on his shoulders. Now, because Isaiah's a prophet, he sees these things as having already happened, even though they haven't. He's a prophet. That's how he sees it. The people have seen a great light. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and have increased their joy. There's going to be a lot of waiting to do. It's going to be seven centuries of waiting. But here's more good news for you and for me in our day. God is always at work in the waiting towards his nevertheless. He is God in the waiting. I don't know what your personality is like, but don't you find waiting such a difficult thing? I find waiting quite difficult sometimes. I think waiting has become even harder in our fast, immediate, demanding culture. There was a few years ago, there was a Samsung mobile phone advert, and it actually said this, impatience is a virtue. (laughs) What a day we live in. Here's a test. When you're at the supermarket, I do this, do you carefully weigh up the cues as carefully and scientifically as you possibly can and assess which of them is going to be the quickest? Which till operator looks like they know what they're doing? (laughs) Which lady has an enormous basket? There's only one person there, but it's an enormous basket or trolley. You carefully weigh it up. And when you get into your queue, carefully chosen, you inevitably end up thinking, I am cursed. (laughs) Every time I join a queue, it may be the shortest one, but it ends up being the longest. I hate waiting in a queue. Or would you you rather take five minutes to drive a 20-minute journey, an extra five minutes just to keep moving? Yes? You would. Thank you for your honesty. The rest of you... I bet you're the same as well. We hate waiting. I honestly think that waiting is a very, very challenging thing to do or to wait well. But we're probably all waiting for something. Some of you are waiting for the Christmas break. Some of you are waiting to graduate. Some of you are waiting for a new job. Some of you are waiting to retire. Some are just waiting for a new place to live. Some are waiting to find a spouse and get married. Some are waiting for children. Some are waiting for the children to leave home. (laughs) Some are waiting, we're probably all waiting for loved ones to trust Jesus. Some are waiting for medical treatment. Some are waiting for healing. Some are just waiting for a change in circumstances. That doesn't seem to be coming. Well, fast forward to Jesus' day, and we get a very real sense of this waiting game. Waiting for the promises to come to pass. Waiting for Isaiah's well-known words that they hung on to actually come into being. Waiting for this light to dawn. Waiting for this sun to be given. Waiting for joy and victory so that they could party. 
We get some examples. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 talks about Simeon. There was a man in Jerusalem just after Jesus has been born called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for these promises to come to pass. The next chapter, the people were waiting expectantly and wondered if John the Baptist might be the Messiah. There was this sense of waiting and waiting and waiting. But the Christmas message, of course, is that God has delivered on his promises because he is faithful. The virgin has conceived and given birth to a son who is the true Emmanuel, God with us. To those of us, all of us, in fearful doom and deepest darkness, under the judgment of God, God has spoken his ultimate nevertheless in sending his son. You sinners, you dirty sinners, lost, away from God, his enemies, under his judgment, Subject to all of that through your own fault, nevertheless, the Son is sent who will reign on David's throne forever and ever. So, Isaiah said, rejoice like at harvest, rejoice like the warriors have come back, rejoice like the party time we had back in Midian, being defeated day under Gideon. He might say to us today if he was here, so rejoice as if your team have won the World Cup. Rejoice as if you've just inherited the estate. Rejoice as if your every good desire has been satisfied. Rejoice as if everything that oppresses or frustrates or challenges you has been wiped away. No more waiting. Jesus Emmanuel has come to reign and to bring in his kingdom. This is the best news that I know about. He has come. And yet, we do wait. We don't wait and we do wait. The Christian life is so many things, one of which is an exercise in faithful waiting. We're all waiting for God to move in one way or another. We're all waiting for God to answer prayer. We're all waiting for God to say in our own immediate circumstances, nevertheless, no more gloom. Aren't you? Isn't there something in you that's waiting for God to act? In your depression or your difficulty or just your longings to say, nevertheless, no more gloom. And even when he does move, which he does, we still wait. Because for however much we receive from God and experience of God in this life, we are always awaiting a final nevertheless. That final nevertheless, when death becomes the doorway to being with Jesus unhindered, face to face, where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. So I want to say to you, wait confidently because God is faithful and he's working in the waiting. Nevertheless, the Savior has come. And in our circumstances, nevertheless, God will work by his grace. And even in the end, nevertheless, 
He will deliver us to the goal of our salvation in his very presence. One of the Psalms says this, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. It's my word to you today, wait for the Lord, be strong in heart, take courage and wait for the Lord to deliver in this life and to deliver eternally and gloriously. Here's how we're going to finish today. We're going to finish by having a song played to us, not by the band, but on the screen. And it's a song about taking courage in the waiting. And I know you're waiting. I know you're waiting for things to change. I know you're waiting for God to provide. I know you're waiting for loved ones to make a step towards Jesus. I know you're waiting for all manner of things. But God is working in the waiting. And there is a nevertheless.